This episode of Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen is not intended as a substitute for seeing your own mental health provider. We are here to initiate conversations about sex. Let's keep the conversations going. You can find us on Twitter at TalkingSexPod or email us at TalkingSexPodcast at gmail.com. We also want to give special thanks to Nathan Diffie for our podcast cover art and our wonderful editor, Julia W.D. Harrison. Lynn Ponton and I, Jennifer Wong, are the executive producers. Yo. There are certain things that I can talk to you about that I can't really with my dad. I don't think we should talk about this. Hello, this is Lynn Ponton of Lynn and Jen, and let's talk about sex. And we're going to be discussing a, a subject today that I think is of great interest to a lot of people. And just to start out and say that uh, May of, uh, this is the year 2019, is a Mental Awareness Month within the year. And uh, we wanted to discuss a topic that really was relevant to all of us. So are you with me on this one, Jen? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think Mental Health Awareness Month is so important. And it actually brings up a whole other component for me, which is that I think our society focuses so much on just the mind. So we call it mental health awareness, which is great. But I want to remind people that it's not just about your mind. It's about your heart. It's about your body. And it's about your soul if you believe in having a soul. So as we talk about Mental Health Awareness Month, I'm really, and you are too, talking about this as a holistic thing. Absolutely. Because, and I think that's the binary that's been in our field for so long, that the mind is pulled out and it's in this separate place. And we really see the work we do with individuals as being much more comprehensive and our lives as being more comprehensive. Well, I think when we don't think about it that way, then we have to compartmentalize our lives in a way that doesn't reflect the reality. Well, then maybe this leads right into the subject, which is really discussing a bit more about sexual harassment and the implications of this and following up on kind of the ongoing discussion in our country, you know, about uh, Joe Biden's uh, harassing behavior of Lucy Flores and his maybe failure to listen to Anita Hill's story in her testimony 30 years ago. So it's really about the consequences of harassment. And just to start off and to say with all of my patients and with myself personally, when I've been in those situations, it has affected not only my mind, but my soul and my heart and my body and left a lot of scars in a lot of different areas. So we're going to be talking about what are the scars that harassment leaves? Uh, you know, what is the, the mental health burden from harassment? And what are we dealing with in our lives around this important subject? Right. I think we're going to cover all those things. And a highlight that you and I discussed is really the exhaustion that comes with it. Because I think if you think about it affecting all these four components, you can see it's depleting yourself in all these different arenas and it makes it much, much harder for you to be the person to stand up for yourself. Exactly. And this is a, a symptom um, that we see with a lot of men and women that we work with who've been harassed. So they're in our office and they really almost can't get through the topic in a discussion with a therapist, 
let alone with anybody else in the world out there. You know, so it really tires them. You know, they'll fall asleep. They'll kind of lie down. I have a little couch in my office. They lie on the couch and cover themselves with a blanket. So you get a sense of where this pushes people. Yeah, I have a lot of clients who lie down on the couch as well. And I I think what is very important to share too is that a lot of the times people are not making the connection between the harassment they're experiencing on a daily basis or somewhat daily basis and the level of exhaustion that they feel. So they know they have these two experiences, but they're not connecting them. Exactly. And that's so important to know that part of post-traumatic stress disorder, it's not in the diagnostic criteria, but it is exhaustion because you're managing all of these other reactions to trauma and harassment qualifies as trauma. Really. Well, it can manifest as what the DSM would define as depression or depressive symptoms. Exactly. That's where they throw in the exhaustion. Mm-hmm. But it's because of the anxiety that you have from sort of gearing yourself up to deal with these situations on a daily and also the traumatic stress response. Maybe to start a little bit from a personal stance, uh, recently within the last month, I myself was harassed. And, you know, as listeners might know, I'm now close to a 68-year-old woman, but I'm out in the world. And I testify in a lot of legal cases to help uh, all types of individuals, but many of them are victims of harassment and abuse. And in this context, I work with a lot of male attorneys. So I have had this experience within the last month, uh, and even before that time, with working with a particular attorney whose personal style is to grab me, hold me, hug me, and touch me, you know, in the middle mm. of uh, a case. And you and I mentioned to you I was going to talk a little bit about this, Jen. But uh, it's very upsetting, and I've had to follow up on it and complain about his behavior and say I'm not going to work with him ever again and, and talk about it with a number of people, you know. But one of the, the symptoms and the reactions I personally have had is tremendous exhaustion. Yeah. You know, it's made me much more tired around other things. Uh, I had a case of a young girl who had been harassed yesterday, and I found myself as just ready to fall asleep in the session and had to take an espresso, Mm. you know, and of course, espressos are okay. Therapists can have espressos, but it spoke to the fact that, you know, it set up in me a response of this is just really a lot, and I'm really struggling with the amount of psychological and other work that has to be done around it. And as a therapist, you you have that awareness built in where you can see the direct connection. Yes. I had this experience. Now I'm feeling exhausted. And not everybody has that awareness or knowing to talk to other people. That was something else we brought up, which is that for a lot of people, and I've had my own experiences with harassment, the immediate response is to feel embarrassed. And that's actually really problematic because... What that means is that we're interpreting the harassment as us having done something to have invited it. And that's entirely not true. We're simply existing. And then somebody has chosen to harass us, often around some type of power. 
And that that was this situation. I, as I've already mentioned, am an older woman, but I have power and knowledge, and I've had success in this area. Yeah. So this is clearly, when I spoke with another male attorney about it, he said, well, this is clearly about power. He's out to limit your power. He does it very effectively in this way. But you mentioned the shame aspect and the shame. There's a younger woman attorney who saw one of these episodes or part of them. Yeah. And then I shared it with her. Obviously, we we're talking about it. But she said, well, nothing like this has ever happened to me. And uh, again, you know, part of that is because I'm, you know, the perception is because she's a good girl. Nothing like this has ever happened to her. And she said, well, I don't dress this way or whatever. And, you know, and I, by the way, was very conservatively dressed. This is not, but it's, you know, she's even more dressed down, nondescript, you know, really trying, I think, to not bring on, you know, any of this behavior in any way, shape or form. But she's also doesn't have the level of power that I had in the situation. So she and I then talked about this and shared some of these ideas about it, but very tough situation. And that's a common response though, and it's problematic. I want to help people see that it is problematic because it's again, inviting that idea that you're doing something wrong when it's you're not doing anything wrong. And it's very important for us to keep drilling this into our heads so that we reach out and talk to other people about it. Embarrassment, shame can make us isolate and that then creates a different type of spiral for ourselves. Yes, uh, from my personal perspective, 40 years ago, or 35, 40 years ago, I was involved in a very large sex abuse case and we won a clash action finding that's all part of it but I was shamed by other women I was isolated from other women for years around this at my place of employment where this occurred and it was a very debilitating thing yeah. you know I'm older now I have more experience with it but it's still triggering mm-hmm. and exhausting to have this happen you know, because you feel like it, it triggers so many feelings and experiences of it. Well, wouldn't you say that that's also part of what makes it so exhausting is it's not the first time. So then it brings up all the other times and then you're having to process all of that. Yeah, this uh, brings us to the op-ed by Lucy Flores, who's uh, one of the women kind of in the Biden situation where she's talked about the abusive behavior, harassing behavior that he engaged in with her. And it was touching her hair and smelling her hair and kissing her head and, you know, not unlike some of the experience that I had. But she talks about the exhaustion. She talks about the isolation. She talks about some of these very same struggles, too. So it's an op-ed really worth reading in the New York Times. Yeah, it's definitely a great op-ed. And I, I like that what she talks about is that there are behaviors that people engage in, and we've kind of gone through this reckoning post-Me Too, where there are the men who are in power and they are engaged in egregious behavior that people easily label as sort of their villains, like let's cut them out, let's get rid of them. When it comes to Joe Biden, it's not the same thing, and yet his behavior isn't appropriate. And so she asks this question about how do we deal with this gray area where he isn't engaging in behavior that you 
would call illegal, but it's obviously problematic. It doesn't acknowledge women's bodily autonomy. And there's the component that she talks about where Biden doesn't fall into this immediate villain category. So people are left to wonder, how do we make sense of all of this? For me, reading that part of her op-ed brought up um, uh, Carol Gilligan's recent work, which is really about who's supporting the patriarchy and the large number of women that support the patriarchy and how they see things. And it's not only a large number of women, it's a lot of men. So you see men and women and who've been indoctrinated really in the idea that it's okay to move in on women's bodies. And it's okay for women to have to look and appear a certain way. You know, and uh, I, you couldn't imagine um, uh, Joe Biden nestling the hair and smelling the hair of a male congressman. You know, and Lucy Flores was a female congressman. So if we right. saw that, you know, we'd say, what? that is very strange. But right. to see a man hug intimately grab a woman in a, a work-based context is still within our social norm. Mm-hmm. And a lot of men and women still subscribe to that. They stand up for Kavanaugh. They stand up for Joe Biden's behavior. They really say, this is fine. There's no problem with this because everybody else is doing it. Mm-hmm. And this gets back to what you're saying. It may not be illegal, Biden's behavior, but it definitely pushes the ethical boundary. Yeah. And that's what I think we can talk more about is this ethical versus legal and being able to drive conversations around it. It makes somebody else uncomfortable. And how do we learn to value being able to recognize those cues? Exactly. Because you had brought up in your situation, you were cueing this person very very explicitly even. <laughs> Actually, because this has been within the past very short period of time, I cued him with a story of Joe Biden. Oh. Uh, because I actually said to him, this isn't appropriate, you know, because we're all trying to learn from this Joe Biden situation. Yeah. And to figure this out, and I, I don't want you to engage in this behavior with me. Yeah. And, you know, so that actually... Uh, triggered for the younger woman an awareness of it that I was very unhappy with it because I expressed this. Oh, So um, it's an example, I think, of how this Joe Biden situation is helping because mm-hmm. it gives uh, new words that we can use to really bring this up with men who are engaged in this behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that this man did not listen to that. Mm-hmm. And I then had to take other avenues and, you know, avoid working with him in other contexts, talk to other attorneys, really engage and put on other pressure. So I didn't have to face him down and deal with them in that way. And that reminds me is that the responsibility still often falls on the person who is harassed to ensure that they are not in situations where they can be harassed. Exactly. And exactly. And that is such a disturbing part of all of this. You know, um, I think years ago, 30, 40 years ago, when harassment was just beginning to be shaped, uh, there was the idea that it was partly their harasser's response to back away. But then if they can't even understand what they're doing, you know, it becomes very hard to affect that, really. 
Mm-hmm. So we're back in the situation of it's then my responsibility to follow up with this. And this is more work and this is more exhaustion. Right. You know, but that's part of the whole process with it. I would like to highlight, too, that when you shared this with the attorney you were working with, he saw it right away. So I think that's really important that there are people out there who see these things and we want to reach out to and find them and be supported in that effort. He also told me, Jennifer, about another woman Mm. uh, also working in a similar capacity to myself who'd had the same experience with the attorney and was refusing to work with him. Which is common yes. when, when you have yes. people engaging in this behavior. It's not the only person. That happened with the Biden situation, too. Other exactly. women have come forward. Exactly. And that, a couple things I felt about that. Well, why did, one was, why did you let me work with this guy when you already had this thing going down? He said, well, when I wasn't at all surprised. And second, we've got to limit this man's behavior as a group, as a culture. Yeah. You, too have got to be part of this because we can't have this going on. So, Mm -hmm. you know, hearing about other women is reassuring, but then it makes me also wonder, why isn't this being stopped if it's happening happening to a lot of people? Well, once is enough, right? Once is enough. Exactly. That should be right below me too. Once is enough. (laughs) Yeah. Once is enough to really abuse any one person in this situation. Exactly. Yeah. So a lot for Mental Health Month. Huh? We're going to be dealing with all the consequences. What do you see with your patients that's most disturbing around harassing issues? Well, so I'll definitely answer that. Yeah. But before I do, yeah. I want to go back to what you were saying, which is you use the word consequence, which I think is really important. As therapists, we often are redefining or separating these words And people often associate consequences and punishment as the same thing, which is what I think some of Lucy's article gets to with atonement and forgiveness and punishing. But punishing is not necessarily helpful either because it gets us stuck in this dynamic that creates a lot of drama. And instead, you really want to look at what are the consequences and what can be done. And that's where... Um, things like apologies, real apologies, are very healing because that is a consequence is you've done something wrong, you're accepting responsibility, being accountable for your own behavior. And she talks about the next step is then what are you going to do to kind of change this situation for other people? And if we look at Joe Biden, one of the things Joe did was not listen seriously to Anita Hill. And as a consequence, we had Clarence Thomas for 30 years Which on our Supreme terrible. Court. And the laws that he's voted on, you know, if you look at his voting record, is very negative toward women and women's issues. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the consequences of Joe Biden's behavior in that committee. An inability to recognize this type of pattern. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So if we think about what could Joe do now, maybe use Joe as an example, but what could he do? He, you know, he's tried to say he'll work for women's, you know, rights and other things. But how could he directly take on the consequences of that? Maybe examine all of those Clarence Thomas decisions against women that were a consequence of his action. Right. Uh, You know, and not only Joe's, but everybody on the committee. Right. 
I've watched the Anita Hill tapes over and over again. I own them and um, a copy of them. Right. And uh, what I see, you know, I can't help but look at and see Kennedy's face there and uh, all of the senators from the South who are saying that Anita Hill had erotomania and everything else. And it's just so upsetting. And it really underscores how much progress we've made in the 30 years. But at the same time, it's so hard to see these men in position of power really not hearing her. Mm -hmm. And uh, women should look at that if they can, at least part of those tapes. And she still doesn't feel heard by these men. That's a big part of what came up in this situation with Joe Biden is, you know, he called her and supposedly apologized. But a lot of women are, again, commenting and saying that's not a real apology. And, and she doesn't see it as one either. Right. So the apology has to be heard by the survivor slash victim, you know, and understood as an apology. That's an important thing about it. And I think actions have to follow. Yeah. You know, some actions, you know, because there is, you know, and that's maybe atonement. It's not punishment, but that you take actions to alter the harmful behavior that you've engaged in. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Um, it's very, very hard to, to see that tape and to see those actions in the direction that that moved in. And I agree with many people who've said that this, the direct consequence was the Kavanaugh hearings. Oh, absolutely. And uh, those, uh, again, watching those 30 years later, you know, I think women throughout the country were re-traumatized around this experience. And I think a lot about that, too, because for me, like, I was very upset. I'm still upset about mm. the Kavanaugh situation. But honestly, I haven't done too much in my personal life to, like, fight the fact that he is on the Supreme Court. And so I wonder about how that plays in terms of our exhaustion. You know, like, we can rally for these things, but then it's so exhausting. It is. It is exhausting to fight these things. That brings us back to how could we fight the Kavanaugh? How could we fight the Biden? What can they do to really deal with some of these situations? Well, we have Biden running for president. And, you know, he has to really look at these things and I think look at the consequences. The consequences of Clarence Thomas were these 10 findings. Mm -hmm. They're more than 10. Right. But you might list them as such. And these are things that he now regrets having happened. Mm -hmm. And these are the actions he'll take to make them different if he is to become president. Right. You, you have know. to address it directly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And this gets to more of what we're talking about with ethics. You know, it's more than the law. It's really about what do ethics demand in response to this situation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, for me, honestly, I'm so tired of politicians who don't take a stand. You know, there's this belief in a way that you can't come down too hard on one thing or another. But what, there are certain things that require us to take a stance. And I think, you know, women being harassed, men being harassed, people being abused. These are issues where there's a pretty clear sides. Exactly. I want to take it back to our the patients that right. I see. And, you know, they, not only do they have exhaustion around these issues, uh, but the and depression. 
depression, mm-hmm. exhaustion do go hand in hand. Yeah. But there's a lot of re-triggering. Yes. So women get, get re-triggered and they avoid situations and they self-isolate, yes. let alone being isolated by the culture. But they self-isolate. And that's part of what I was fighting this last month is don't isolate about this. You must follow up right away and take action. Mm-hmm. And when you're exhausted after being harassed, it's very hard to take action. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I I definitely see that. Um, that answer, that was the answer <laughs> I was going to give is, you know, definitely the exhaustion, the depression I see in my clients. The other thing that I would... Maybe this is almost like a whole other conversation. But the other thing I see is a lot of women who feel very angry after these experiences. And they then feel bad about feeling angry. They don't feel they should be angry. And they sort of shame themselves for being angry. And anger, when it is well-directed, is actually a, a very helpful, useful emotion. Because anger is sort of like your... Um, your alert signal for your boundary being crossed. And so it's very understandable. And this is sort of exactly what I say to a lot of these people when I'm sitting down with them is it's understandable that you're angry. Your anger is valid because this was a boundary violation and your anger is working well to help you identify that this is not okay. The question becomes, what are you going to do with that anger? It's very interesting what you're saying, Jennifer, because right after this very upsetting, harassing event occurred. I had approximately 48 hours or two days of solid anger. Mm-hmm. I was flashing, flashing, flashing. Mm-hmm. And then I realized I must act. Channel you your know, anger. I must act. Yeah. And what am I going to do when I kind of evaluated, thought through a plan? Um, and that helped. The anger mm-hmm. abated right. at that moment. You right. know, not totally, because it comes back in waves. But... Uh, also reading the Lucy Flores op-ed piece in the New York Times about Joe Biden, you know, you can see that her putting words to it and questions to it and thinking about it has helped, Yeah, you know, quite a bit. I think with Anita Hill, we don't know, but she came forward after Biden approached her. I think that's why he felt like he had to, there was some back and forth around that because mm-hmm. he knew she was going to do this. And I think that helped too. You know, so for women, I think a big part of it is even though we're exhausted and we're angry, we have to sit down, evaluate, think about it, and take action. Really. Well, I think we also have to learn or accept that anger is a healthy emotion. Exactly. You know, like exactly. there are definitely things people have done in anger that are unhealthy. But anger itself as an emotion is very important. And I think as therapists, we learn or know that having that period of anger is actually very healing and helpful. It, it's a way of sort of reaffirming your own identity exactly. and your right and your value. And so as long as you're not taking that anger and directing it over somebody else, then it's healthy and it can actually help drive that process that moves you into a healthy action that helps other people as well, helps yourself and helps other people. You know, we're going to close the this podcast soon, but I want to, you know, one thing you showed me this morning, Jen, that was so important, you showed me two photographs. 
And one was of a group of women who were supporting Kavanaugh. They're all dressed alike in identical T-shirts. Their hair is almost alike. And their facial makeup is almost alike. And they're a whole group of them. Mm-hmm. And they're all smiling strangely. And then this was contrasted with the group of women in the women's movement. Mm-hmm. And they all look different. None of their Very hair diverse. looks alike. Yeah. None of their clothes look alike. Uh, but their faces show a range of emotional reactions. Many are angry. Many are angry. But m- others are smiling. Others have taken action. They're holding posters. You know, there's a whole response, a different response graded there. Right. And I think when we think about women being motivated by Me Too and all these changes and to fight patriarchal norms against women... There's a whole diverse response emotionally and in action that takes place. <laughs> yeah. And so that brings this full circle with Mental Health Awareness Month, with it, which is that I want to address that all these emotions, even the ones we label <laughs> negative like anger, there are, they are helpful. And if you can learn how to sort of build a relationship with them, I guess is how I would describe it. But if you can learn what they're trying to tell you, then it helps you navigate all these situations. When you know that your exhaustion is related to the experience with harassment you just felt, then you don't necessarily beat yourself up for being so exhausted. And when you know that your anger is an appropriate response to a boundary violation that you've experienced, then you can focus on redirecting your anger instead of turning that anger and making yourself feel bad for being angry. And I mean, there's so many other emotions I could talk about, but <laughs> you know, those those are the two that stand out to me in terms of what my clients experience that have been harassed. Exactly. Um, I think other things that our clients do is take it out on themselves in negative ways. There's so many ways. Yeah. But I think just sticking with the point that we've got to stand up when we have these feelings, we've got to expect that we're going to have anger with them. You know, and anger can motivate us too. It's a sign to move forward and do something. And we're going to recognize how exhausting this whole process is for all of us. So we need other ways to relax and to deal with it. And to stay connected. And to stay connected. Thanks, Jen. Thanks, Lynn. Come on. Let's talk about sex.